Ulterior. What's good, y'all? I'm Artisan, or Carlos, or whatever you know me as. Um, so I initially had nothing planned for an intro, and I was kind of just going to get right into the material for this episode. Um, but something recently happened that is worth me not really covering because there aren't any, like, full-on details of what happened. But it, it's something that still needs to at least be mentioned within the alternative space that this podcast encompasses. Uh, and that was a really long-winded way for me to get to the news that every time I die is no more. The band uh, broke up, and it it ended on a really, really sour note. Let me just say that. It, it was, uh, it's not good. It, it's really not good. It's very, very disheartening. Um, when, I, when I reviewed Radical last October, I think I said there that, like, I can't pretend to have always been, like, this massive supporter or stan of Every Time I Die, but I acknowledge the impact that they've had on the scene and how so many of the bands that I look up to and idolize would not have bothered to get into music had it not been for Every Time I Die. So, this is a genuine, huge fucking loss to music, um, and, you know, what makes it even more bitter is just, like, how... It ended and there's like a bunch of uh, legal stuff that's about to go on and yeah, it, it, it fucking sucks. Um, but, you know, kind of just have to move forward, I suppose. So, uh, oh, real quick also, because I almost forgot to bring this up. Uh, when we were young, that festival, um, so I'm a little bit like, um, I guess cynical when it comes to what that actually is. Because you look at the tour or the festival lineup rather, um, what the fuck? That is genuinely the most insane, unimaginable, unrealistic shit I've ever seen. And that is what kind of makes me like, uh, internally be like, is this really as good as it looks or is this just like another fire festival? Uh, if you don't know what fire fest was, go look it up. It's this complete like, uh, fraudulent thing. Um, so yeah, if everything looks good with, uh, when we were young, uh, we're going. As in myself and everybody listening to this, I don't care if you're into scene music like that or not, we're all going, we're going to go to Vegas in October, don't plan anything that day. When the intro song finishes, I will get right into the music, there are singles this week from uh, Avril Lavigne, Memphis Mayfire, Stan Atlantic, uh, Nova Cub, some others that we'll get into, and then Records. Uh, there are nine of them this week, so uh, we're going to probably be here for a bit, although I will try to not really rush through this, but just like um, get through it in a timely manner. Let me put it that way. So, um, yeah, thanks, everybody. And uh, rest in peace every time I die. As I just alluded to, there was music on music on music last week, so I gotta get right into this if I want to get through this quickly enough. Uh, the number one ranked song, Scenic Overlook, came from Memphis May Fire through their new single, The American Dream.
So along with this single came an official word finally about a full-length record out of Memphis May Fire. It is called uh, Remade in Misery. It's dropping April 29th. This band has been releasing singles at a really rapid rate ever since last June. I believe Blood and Water was the first one. And all throughout that singles run, I've acknowledged that there's something happening with Memphis May Fire. This is a band who I've never truly, truly, like, been enamored with or loved. They have songs that I really, really gravitate towards, like, um, The Sinner, uh, Prove Me Right, Ghost in the Mirror. But then everything since then, of the last decade, it's kind of just been either whatever or a severe miss. And for them to come out and drop a song like The American Dream, what this is telling me is that this is not the band that I thought they were. This feels like a completely new like chapter or story arc for Memphis Mayfire. This is their redemption arc. This is where they show everybody like why they have amassed the kind of audience that they have over the span of their career. Um, everything about this song works to pure fucking perfection, in my opinion. Uh, it's such a good metalcore track. It's heavy. It's catchy. The melodies are on point. Uh, Maddie Mullins, you know, you can say what you want to about him as a person, but in this instance, as a vocalist, I think this might be the best that he has ever sounded in terms of both screams and cleans. Uh, this band is just like completely in unison with one another and I feel this level of excitement for Memphis that I'd never ever had before and Remade in Misery is suddenly one of my most anticipated releases of all of 2022. Motherfucking scene queen Avril Lavigne got a new single, uh, it is Love It When You Hate Me featuring Black Bear. I know this wasn't the intention with this single or Avril's comeback altogether, but what this song does is it kind of feels like it is in a way showing up like all of the, uh, the pop punk revival acts that we've seen over the last year or so. And it's kind of like, Hey, this is where this sound came from. Don't you ever fucking forget it. Um, Avril has had that title of like pop punk queen ever since she started her career two days, two decades ago. Is it at this point? Yeah, it has to be. Um, and she's never lost it. Like, this woman has always been one of the most consistent artists in the scene. She is a pioneer of this shit, and, you know, treat her with the absolute utmost fucking respect. Uh, Love It When You Hate Me is just one of the coolest, catchiest songs I've heard all year thus far. Granted, we're only, like, what, two or three weeks into the year, but I, I feel confident in saying this is gonna hold up extremely well over the next couple of months. Um, the Black Bear feature, he fits in so, like, effortlessly into that second verse, and it just feels like the perfect blend, uh, between styles with Avril and Black Bear. Uh, so this is part of the album Love Sucks, dropping February 25th, and genuinely, guys, there was, like, something so invigorating about being able to come onto a platform like this in 2022 and say that Avril Lavigne is going to drop one of the biggest records of the year. There's just more and more record announcements. It kind of feels like that was like the recurring theme of all last week. Uh, and that is in reference to San Atlantic. I'll get to the record details in a minute, but I'm going to talk about the brand new single featuring Royal and the Serpent called Pity Party.
so this is the third single off of what we now know is called Fear out on May 6th. Uh, so as far as like a record cycle or like the, uh, the chronological ordering of, uh, Santa Lang records go, uh, this follows Skinny Dipping and Pink Elephant, which those two records are very much so grounded in like what you think of when you hear pop punk. It has like that very, uh, I was gonna say basic sound, but I don't mean that disparagingly because I think that Santa Atlantic do it pretty well. Um, but Fear looks like it's going to be steering into this new, more aggressive direction that I think there is so much ground for Santa Atlantic to cover here. Uh, so, you know, there was Death Wish, and then Molotov OK, and then now with Pity Party, it, like, like it's a new side to them, and it's a side that I think works really, really well. Um, I love the instrumentation behind Pity Party. I love the, um, the execution of the hook initially, where it's kind of like a stop and start thing, and all while Bonnie is saying, fuck you and your fucking Pity Party. It's one of my favorite hooks in recent memory. Uh, I think Royal and the Serpent's feature in the second verse is outstanding. This song was so perfectly crafted together, and there's a lot to be excited for with Stan Atlantic this year. And I think if you have given them chances before, but maybe weren't like so sold on them, or you've never heard of Stan Atlantic before, this is the perfect opportunity to get into them. Brand new single out by Landmarks featuring Drew York from Straight from the Path. This one is called Death. This is going to be part of the deluxe edition of Lost in the Waves, which was the Landmarks record from 2021. I believe my number 12 record of the year. Um, so, you know, this is kind of exciting for me. It has three new songs. Along with Death, there was also Suffocate, which features Burt from Chunk No Captain Chunk, and then Self-Made Black Hole featuring Anthony from Resolve. Uh, there's also a live set that comes with this uh, record. So a 23 song track listing. And like I said, I'm looking forward to this. Um, Death is so fucking cool, man. I think the implementation of Drew York's vocals, because it's like, he has like such a unique, not only voice, but delivery for that matter. And it fits into what Landmarks is doing perfectly. Um, I think the band sounds like so, I don't want to say refined with Death, because I think that they were refined already with Lost in the Waves. But this feels like an extension of what I adored so much about that record. Um, I, I think Landmarks is one of the premier standout bands in metalcore right now. I don't know how many people, like, are of that mindset as well, but I think it's, like, not nearly enough. I, I really, really need to see more discourse about Landmarks from here on out. Like, if you're not, you know, on board with this band, I really, really think you're missing out on one of the absolute best metalcore experiences you're gonna get anywhere in the scene right now. Uh, Knucklepuck. I don't know if I've ever even said their name on this show before, so this is a you know a pretty cool instance for myself. A uh, new single out right now called Gasoline. This is going to be on Disposable Life, the brand new EP off from Knuckle Puck on February 10th. Um, there is so much for me to uh, adore and feel so rewarded with through Gasoline. 
Um, I think this is Knucklepuck sounding maybe the best they ever have. Uh, granted, I've never been like a, a huge advocate for Knucklepuck. They definitely have a ton of tracks that I love. You know, Double Helix being the one that really, really stands out to me. Uh, Gasoline is in that conversation now for myself personally. I think it has that straightforward uh, pop punk sound down to a fucking T. Everything about this song, it, it's so well-rounded. I, I think the chorus is just like so catchy and out of this world. And uh, again, like... This is one of those songs that I listen to, and it makes me feel like, have I been missing the mark with Knucklepuck? Have I been the one that was in the wrong the whole time? Like, has this band really, really warranted more admiration out of myself than I've given them? Um, so, you know, I, I feel kind of inclined to go back through Knucklepuck's discography now, because, like, maybe I haven't really given them a fair shot before, um... But, you know, Gasoline, it has that effect on me. I think this is one of the coolest things I've been able to listen to recently. I love this track. And, yeah, Disposable Life, February 10th. Definitely check it out. Nova Cub dropped a brand new single. It is called Our Little World. I have mentioned Nova Cub on this show before. There was a single back in, I think, September or October. Name is not coming to me right now. Uh, but then I also gave their song Fantasies the, it was like either 99 or not 98 spot for the top 100 songs. Uh, I don't really, really know, like, how seen Nova Cub is or if they're even seen at all. But I think the sound that they're relaying here speaks so heavily to what people in the scene gravitate towards when it comes to like that alternative indie sound. Uh, you know, the, the build up to the chorus, it's like kind of a uh, adorable. That's like kind of the word that just like really came to me. Uh, it's so just like really, really quirky and catchy. Um, the rhythm in the chorus, like I, I cannot get that shit out of my head. It's so simple, but uh, effective at the same time. And with uh, Nova Cub, I think that there's a lot of, like, immense talent here within this band that not enough people know about. Uh, Nova Cub really, really deserve a, a much larger platform than what they've been able to establish so far. Um, I, I definitely need some kind of an extended release from them. You know, singles every once in a while are great, and I love being able to have content from them almost regularly, but some kind of a package, whether it be, you know, a full length or an EP, just something to this band's name, I think would really, really do a lot in helping elevate them even further. And, you know, if you want a good sense of what Nova Cub is, for sure, go listen to Our Little World, one of the catchiest songs I've listened to in a minute. Uh, there is a new Against the Current track called Wildfire. So this isn't necessarily like a single from Against Current per se. It is a promotional track made for the League of Legends European Championship, which is currently running through April 30th. So, you know, go check that out if that's anything you're interested in. Um, there are two versions of this song, one that is just Against Current and then another that has features from uh, Andrew Day and Daniel Dracos. Or, or maybe they're not really features. I think 
Chrissy and Against Current would be considered the feature there, but either way, there are two different versions. The one I reviewed for Ulterior was just the Against the Current version because that is the one that interested me. Um, so I think like as a promotional single for this league championship, uh, really, really good. I like the execution of it. I think it plays very, uh, not heavily, but like, um, it, it has similarities to what the band was doing before Fever with, uh, In Our Bones and Past Lives, but kind of like with a little bit of that, um, Fever vibrancy, I guess you can say. Um, personally, I prefer everything on Fever over this track. I think Fever kind of, uh, exemplifies more of this unique style for Against Current that I enjoy very, very much. Uh, that being said, I really do like Wildfire. I think it's really catchy. I think it has a great hook, a great chorus, great melody. Uh, really, really all around great track. The final single that I will be going in detail on comes from SIM and it is The Rumbling. Okay, so let's establish this now. Uh, this is the opening song for the new season of Attack on Titan. That was how I found out about it. Uh, I am a giant fucking fanatic of Attack on Titan. Uh, I, I could go on and on like with my own tangent about Attack on Titan and what uh, the anime and manga has meant to me uh, since I first came across it over a decade ago. Um, but I think I'll save all that for a later time. Maybe there will come an episode one day where I go extensively on anime. Uh, but for the rumbling, so my reasoning for having it be part of Ulterior's canon universe is because, uh, it's a metalcore song. It fits right in with anything else I, I would be talking about normally. And then also, I didn't want to kind of discredit it because it comes from a band I had not heard of prior. Because, like, say, uh, you know, Crystal Lake or Crossfaith had made this song, I would be talking about it, no question. So why wouldn't I give that same kind of attention to SIM? Uh, so this is the TV-sized version of the song, which means that all we have access to right now is just the cut-down version for the uh, the show's opening. Someday, the full-length track will be released, and... I very much so looking forward to hearing that because I think what the rumbling does is it provides this really, really like epic narrative, uh, with this metalcore sound that, you know, really doesn't hold back. It is so insanely heavy for Attack on Titan for the, the kind of show that normally steers into like a, a less heavy direction for its openers. Um, it really alludes to everything that is going to be happening with this final season. Um, just complete chaos and anarchy, destruction, uh, that sinister tone that you can hear all throughout the rumbling. This is the perfect soundtrack for Attack on Titan. These are the remaining singles that I gave either a 4 or a 5 to in the reviews over the weekend on social media. The Saint and the Sinner by Aviva. Life Was Easier When I Only Cared About Me by Bad Sons. Rat in the Room by Born Anew. Uh... Estados by Chiffre. I apologize if I butchered any of that. I probably did. Uh, Electric Moose by Circus Survive. World Impact by Drug Church. Dying Plant by Early Eyes. Day by Day by Frank Walsh Walker featuring Two Feet. Wind Waker by High Wind. 
From Dusk Till Dawn by L'Exquisite Dolier, Body Language by Mint Green, Won't Stand Down by Muse, I Quit My Job by Notions featuring Santo Santana, Hope Runs Deep by Perspective NY, Fast Life by Sad Eyes featuring Gucci Highwaters, Tailspin by The Wise Man's Fear, and Skin and Bone by Vagrants. There was nothing last week that I rated below a 4. Generally, like, a really, really good week for singles. Like, I enjoyed essentially everything that I got to hear. Uh, and it's a similar story with the records, and we're gonna get into that right now. Uh, so, there are nine of these bitches, dog. It, we're gonna be here for a while, probably. What I would like to do is give five minutes tops to everything sans maybe two records or so. Um... I'm going to be saving one of the records for the end of this episode because I know, like, just by heart that it was my favorite release last week, so I want to give, like, a, a bit of a spotlight to that record, per se. Uh, what I'm going to be doing is I have um all of the other records, all eight of them, in, like, this randomizer, and one by one, I'm going to randomly select them and talk about them in that order. So, uh, maybe it's a little bit convoluted, but I wanted to do this, so let me be. Okay, so I have all them here in front of me. I'm going to go ahead and press this button on my screen. I hope this works. So, uh, first record will be, uh, Ritual Hymns by Warm Shepherd. Actually, I'm not mad about this being the first record to be talked about because uh, going into last week, I think I had like five or six records off the top of my head. Like, I know for sure I'm reviewing these and I don't really, really want to add to that list. Uh, and then I ended up adding three over the course of Friday and Saturday because I kind of felt like, okay, I've seen them on the TL. I know that they released. It would be kind of fucked up on my end to just pretend that I didn't see any of this stuff. And Warm Shepherd was one of them. So I added Warm Shepherd later on and I ended up reviewing it. I think it might have been the last record I listened to on Saturday before finalizing the reviews. Um, so Warm Shepherd is a band that I've heard of before, but I didn't have a ton of familiarity with their material. Uh, but the thing about them is you can just like hear the name of the band and you can look at the logo and you understand immediately that this is a deathcore act. Um, so what I will say now is this was the lowest rated record on my end last week. Uh, it got a seven and a half out of 10. And one of the factors I acknowledge could be that since this was the last record I heard, I felt fatigued by the point of, uh, getting to ritual hymns, especially with deathcore, because this was kind of a heavy week for heavy music. So, you know, it, it felt like I had heard essentially everything that I could have from the genre, and maybe I wasn't really giving Warm Shepherd enough room to be innovative or, like, really, really take me aback by the material. Um, from the moment you press play on the opening track, which is the title track, um, just in your fucking face heavy, and I really, really admire that, honestly. I mean, granted, there is, like, a minute or so at the beginning of uh, this, like, orchestral buildup, but then once that passes, like, the song just, like, never, ever fucking lets up for a second. 
Um, and I know I say deathcore, but it's, it's like, uh, the kind of deathcore that has so many elements of death metal mixed in. And I really, really do like that sound. And I think a band like Warm Shepherd is doing it incredibly well. Uh, are they doing it in a way that makes them stand out in comparison to other bands of similar vein? Um, to me, maybe not. And I think that is where there's like a slight uh, disconnect between myself and the material here. I still like everything I listen to, but you know, maybe in uh, like in my head, uh, it didn't sound uh, that distinct from other stuff. But again, I, I don't want to take away any credit from what Warm Shepherd accomplished because, like, with the title track, right in the middle of it, one of the gnarliest, nastiest fucking breakdowns I've ever heard in my life. That shit went dummy, dog. I loved it. Um, so, okay, one of the areas of this record that I will point out, and this does show, like, my weak side because I'm not really built for this kind of stuff, uh, the, the length of some of these tracks. So, the opener, Ritual Hymns, 643, uh, Blood Kingdom, 711, the closer winter sun 819 and granted like this isn't like you know totally ridiculous and there are definitely other records i'm going to talk about this week that you know kind of have a similar notion going for them but um it, it is something that i do need to like continue to work towards my tolerance for longer songs and the ability to get lost in them without like literally getting lost if that makes any kind of sense it probably doesn't but in my head it did um, but to the credit of Blood Kingdom, that was one of my favorite songs on this record. I think for a longer track, it's able to utilize all of its time efficiently, and there's never a point in that 7-Eleven runtime where I feel like the song is like stalling at any point just to uh, meet that length. It, it all feels like so coherent, and the same thing is happening with Wilted Moon, the track that follows that. Wilted Moon is one of the shorter songs on here at 439. Um, but again, like Wilted Moon, just like, I don't want to say it rushes through the track. It kind of maybe does in some ways, but it does so like with the fullest understanding of what it's trying to do. Like Wilted Moon, like goes in, achieves everything and then gets the fuck out. And you're left there just being like kind of winded, man. It, it, it's like, holy shit. Like all of these screams, all of these blast beats, like everything here that encompasses so much of what I adore about deathcore and death metal. Like it was crafted to make like this Mona Lisa esque, you know, piece of work through Wilted Moon. And it's moments like those where I think, uh, ritual hymns is like living up to all of its potential. Um, but then with songs like, um, you know, The Raven's Keep or, um, A, A Bird in the Dusk, I feel like the ideas are there. It's just, in my mind, they're not necessarily reaching the points that, again, maybe like A Blood Kingdom or A Wilted Moon or The River of Knives do. Um, the, the closing song, Winter Sun, I feel like that is kind of like this one frustrating area and maybe frustrating is not the right word but it's like i'm listening to all eight minutes of that song and i'm just kind of thinking in my head like i, I know what's happening here and i really 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 want to love it especially the outro which kind of blends the orchestral elements of this record with the heavy destructive chaos uh tones a and it kind of feels like there's room for it to have been better like it's just not hitting the exact way that 
on paper, I feel like it would spell out. Um, so I, I guess what I'm really trying to get at is that Ritual Hymns shows a lot of what I think Warm Shepherd can do. Like, this is a band that I want to see grow from here on out. I really, really think there's something special about them. Um, I think the, uh, like the, the influence that Lorna Shore is destined to have on death metal this year, I want that to be felt by every other act in that particular subgenre. And I think Warm Shepherd has a good chance at being like kind of either at or close to the helm of this movement. Um, and I can hear everything that they, uh, uh, they're going to hopefully achieve in the future through ritual hymns. I also hear certain things that maybe I, I look at and I'm like, I don't really know about this part. I, I think maybe this could have been done a little bit better. I think maybe this song didn't necessarily need to be this long. Um, but I, for the most part, really did enjoy everything that I got to listen to out of Virtual Hymns. I think this is an outstanding Deathcore release. Um, it could have been better, sure. But again, there were other factors that went into last week that might have contributed to my slight uh, you know, detachment from the material. But otherwise this is generally like a really, really good record. And I think if you're into what I've been talking about with deathcore and death metal, um, you need to listen to this if you have, if you have not already. Okay. So let me pull this, uh, randomizer thing up again. Okay. So take out warm shepherd, uh, randomize it. Okay. So we're going to look at light bends by pride lands. Um, this happened a couple of times in the duration of season one, and it didn't take long into season two for it to happen again. A perfect surprise. I didn't expect to enjoy Light Bends, like, even near the extent that I did, and I came out of it believing that this was a perfect record. So, I guess the first thing to note in terms of, like, where some excitement for myself came from with this record, despite not really having all of the knowledge I should have prior to the identity of Pride Lands, is that it's on Sharp Tone. And I think Sharp Tone is probably the most exciting label out there, at least for me right now, personally. That has been the case for a minute now. Uh, and one of the factors in that being, you can't really go into, like, a Sharp Tone record that you have no knowledge of prior knowing for certain what it's going to sound like because sharp tone you know they have like crystal lake and holding absence and don broco and heart of gold all of these acts that somehow like fit into the same umbrella despite being so different from one another in a lot of areas so with uh light bends there were three singles beforehand that i have saved to my spotify i don't know if they were the only three singles available uh heavy tongue the walls and the lake of twisted limbs um I think one of my errors when kind of going through Pride Lands beforehand was not really being able to recall a ton of what happened on any of those tracks. I guess maybe there was just like a so much buried, uh, like on top of these singles. And I would have never really had the opportunity to fully appreciate not only these singles, but also Pride Lands as an entire group, uh, un until I had light bends in my hands. Um, and with those three singles, all of them channel, like, different other scene acts. At least that's, like, the 
immediate comparisons I was able to draw. So like Heavy Tongue has like some genty and prog stuff going on in it, like kind of akin to volumes. Um, the walls, it, there's like some, um, like, electronic implementation that kind of like harkens to north lane per se and then with the lake of twisted limbs the way that that song kind of has like this like a like a chugging doom-esque type of riff uh mixed with different effects on it it like kind of made me think of uh sleep token but i will say that all of these sounds i think uh fit so perfectly into what pride lands is doing and the overall scope of what is happening with light bends um, I want to single out Parallel Lines as being my favorite song on the record, and one of my favorite songs overall from last week. I think Parallel Lines does an excellent job at being able to, like, showcase a heaviness to Pride Lines while also scaling things back, per se, for the verses. Um, and then once you get into, like, the, uh, the chorus, the, the cleans kind of just, like, soar and take on a life of their own, and it makes for, I think, maybe the most emphatic moment on the entire record. Parallel Lines is so well-paced, well-put-together, and, again, I think the standout of what is happening on Light Bends. And, uh, not to the same extent, but the track that follows Parallel Lines, Parted Time, something similar is happening there, and honestly, when I was hearing Parted Time initially, I was kind of, like, teetering back and forth between giving it a 4 and a 5, um, and then it just became one of those songs that, like, the more I heard it, the more it became undeniable to me, like, yeah, this is a perfect song, there's no way it's not, that chorus is insane, dude. The penultimate song, Evergrowth, was another high point, in my opinion. That one has, like, such a, like, a somber and melodic feel going for almost the entire, uh, like, first half of that track. And it's just really, like, powerful and beautiful. And the way that it's able to build itself up to that explosive outro, like, it, it, to me, shows, like, not only this understanding of Pride Lands, but also their own understanding of their identity and who they are, and the kind of immaculate sounds that this band is able to compose. I think this album is bookended by amazing songs in the form of the intro, or the, the opener, I mean, I Reach Into Your Heart, and then all the way into the closer, The Sun Will Find Us. I really like the juxtaposition of I Reach Into Your Heart starting off like very, like kind of slow and it, it just builds up the energy really, really well through like, um, I, I guess just like these really heartfelt layers and then with The Sun Will Find Us, the last minute or so is like this instrumental showcase that is like pretty heavy and really speaks to the more aggressive moments all throughout Light Bends, um, there was so much to love about this record, and again, like, I went into it being surprised by how good it was, and that was kind of more so my fault for just not really paying attention beforehand about, like, how good Pride Lands really are and how good they can be. Um, there was nothing to dislike about this record. I, I, I listened to it three times, and each time after the first one, kind of with, like, these critical lenses on and, like, trying to figure out what, if anything, do I not like about Light Bends? And ultimately, nothing. I think this is a perfect record, uh, you know, already one of the standouts of the year. And it's something that I feel like is going to go under the radar. I, I definitely expect that to happen. I don't know how many people will actually listen to Light Bends, but I'm saying right now, um, if you haven't listened to this yet, I think it's something that is well worth at least an exploration. Okay, so let me pull up this uh randomizer thing again uh next record is going to be uh elegy by shadow of intent 
I had uh, some level of familiarity with Shadow of Intent beforehand, and I say some level, uh, it was pretty exponential, honestly, at, at least in comparison to like some of the bands I'm talking about today and how I didn't really know about any of what they were doing prior. Um, I gave listens beforehand to Reclaimer and Melancholy, the two most recent uh, Shadow of Intent records. I think this is a really, really class and standout deathcore act in the scene. I, I think there's a lot of what Shadow, in Shadow of Intent is doing that speaks so heavily to kind of what I was mentioning earlier about... Um, uh, Warm Shepherd with like that style of death core that blends death metal into it. And that is like kind of made immediately apparent upon hearing the opening track Farewell, which has like this, uh, kind of like a symphonic epic type of build up for it. And then that goes into some of the heaviest fucking, uh, sounds you will hear uh, out of any facet of the scene right now. Um, and it does so incredibly well. I, I think like, um, there was a lot of room for the sounds here on Farewell and I guess Elegy at large to kind of be like discombobulated, yet it all blends itself with each other really, really well. And I think that is like a testament to how just like talented the members of Shadow of Intent really are. Um, this record is one hour long, so it's definitely the kind of project that needs like commitment and dedicated time to get into, especially if you're not like fully immersed into deathcore um and i guess in that case i will say that this is probably not uh, going to be anybody's like introduction to deathcore i don't really hear this in uh sense like the idea of like there being any kind of a gateway here into the genre but if you're somebody who's like already well versed in deathcore and you consider yourself to be a fan of the genre um there's enough going on here for you to not feel like bored or tired or worn out at any point in the runtime of Elegy. Um the op the not the opening song but uh, the track that follows the opener uh Sarian King I feel like that one kind of showcases what I'm trying to get across and how there are so many like different like twists and turns in that song that it's not just like one straightforward like okay like uh, heavy go 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 deathcore it's like it, it understands like how to pace itself and like separate these heavy moments and like not really be slow but just be epic in its build-up um but like with that in mind about me talking about how well the album is able to keep the excitement going for its one hour runtime i'm not saying that it's a perfect record uh songs on here like uh life of exile and then uh reconquest and uh i'll get to the the closing stuff later but uh life of exile and reconquest i feel like those two songs have like maybe certain instrumentation elements that didn't really speak to the quality i believe of other songs like uh intensified genocide or uh blood in the sands of time i think with those two songs in particular they kind of feel like some bit of a like a some some form of distance from everything else but not great distance i'll say that I think overall my favorite song on here would be Where Millions Have Come to Die, which features Phil Bozeman from Whitechapel. And just the way that Phil and then uh, Ben Duer are able to kind of like, uh, not really clash or even collide, but just like, uh, synchronize their, uh, vocal abilities with one another in, in the deathcore genre. Like, it, it was this incredible moment that I thought like really, really emphasized what it is about Shadow of Intent that works so well. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, where millions have come to die, I think is the high point. Um, I said earlier, or not earlier, as in like, uh, I guess I said like a few seconds ago, 
um, that I would get into the closing stuff. So there is a three-part closer. It's the title track, Elegy, but then there are the parts um, Adapt, Devise, and Overcome. And there's kind of a lot to be taken in with these songs. So altogether, um, it probably comes in at like maybe around like 13 minutes, 14 minutes uh, as an entire package, which is fine. I don't really have an issue with the songs being broken up into three parts. I think where my issue would lie, if you even want to call it an issue, um, w- would maybe be how I'm not really of the belief that this had to be three parts. I think it could have been cut down to two and would have had the same kind of execution in its concept. So Adapt is like more instrumental bass and it's kind of like a like a softer showcase of what Shadow Intent can do. Uh, Devise has uh, blends between the first and third parts. So it kind of like lies in the middle ground, which is why it's second. And then Overcome is like more deathcore uh, affiliated the way that the rest of the record is. Um, I don't really think Adapt and Devise had to be two separate songs. I think you could have achieved the same thing by having those two be connected to each other uh, as one single song, and then that goes into Overcome as the real closer. Um, I also think they could have taken the chance by having this be one song, like one 13, 14 minute song, which again, maybe would have been, uh, you know, a, a, a little bit too intense, but it wouldn't have affected the runtime ultimately. And, uh, you know, maybe it would have worked out better in that sense. I don't know. Um, but again, my initial point wasn't that like, it's, uh, a long track. It's just that I don't really know if adapt and device were necessarily, uh, required to be separate songs. Um, so I think like that might be one area where the record kind of feels like a little bit lost on me and I don't really understand like where the, uh, or I, I guess I understand what the intention was, but like maybe where the thought process was in, uh, going about said intentions. Um, so Elegy, I think is a really, really good record. It, you know, if you're into deathcore, this is like something that you can easily sink your teeth into. If you're not, uh, so like, uh, well versed in the genre, this is probably going to get lost on you and it's not really a record for you per se but again if it's something that you're into uh shadow of intent really really showed the fuck up last week okay randomize pull out a name um okay the chosen by enterprise earth Uh, this falls in line with what I was saying earlier about Worm Shepherd and how there were three records that I ad- added later on, uh, just to like be respectful and not feel like I purposely didn't see them or I was ignoring them. Um, so by the time I got to The Chosen in my listens on Saturday, uh, I was already kind of spent. I was burnt out, but I still wanted to give my uh, time and attention to this because what I did when like deciding if I wanted to review The Chosen was I pulled it up on Spotify and I was like, let me hear a little bit of one song and go off of that and decide if I want to, uh, you know, proceed with reviewing this record. And so the song that I went with was Reanimate, Disintegrate, and just kind of like skimming through the track, I was like, there is so much happening here. It's so much that I like. And so I really, really do owe it to myself to check this out because it sounds really, really interesting and cool. And I feel like I'd be missing out if I didn't give this record at least one listen. 
And ultimately, yeah, I, I think I would have been missing out had I not chosen to listen to the chosen. I didn't mean to do that. Um, so Enterprise Earth has this kind of sound that, again, speaks to what I was mentioning about the blend of death core and death metal. Uh, just having like that kind, or maybe it's more in line with death metal, honestly. Um, just having like that intensity to it, that really malevolent vibrancy that I think is like so in alignment with where the scene is heading in terms of uh, like death core and death metal. Um, the opening song, Where Dreams Are Broken, there's like this riff early on into the track, maybe around like 54, 55 seconds, that is like so infectious and just gets in my head. And like, I know the riff is not really meant to be catchy, but it, it kind of ended up being that. And then with that song, uh, again, so many like different turns and just elements that are spread all throughout Where Dreams Are Broken. Uh, and by the end of the track, it has like this new life breathed into it through the guitar work. And it just kind of sounds so like powerful and like very very metal-esque and you know but by, by this point or, or so like uh, in hearing where dreams are broken and then reanimate disintegrate back to back i kind of understood like you know there are some elements of this record that maybe don't sound like they're meant for me per se yet it's all crafted in a way that makes it so undeniable um, I did give Where Dreams Broken a 4 out of 5, though it wasn't perfect. I think there are some, like, uh, weird little vocal things going on, uh, in certain areas, which is totally fine. It's not, like, a real detriment to the track. It just maybe wasn't so, like, close to the, uh, the excitement level that I felt hearing Reanimate Disintegrate. Um, if anything, I would say maybe the way that I want to phrase this would be, there are some chances taken with some of these songs that maybe they didn't need to be taken or or they did but like maybe the execution and the layout of these ideas wasn't like as flushed out as it could have been uh so i i mean that with uh regards to songs like uh overpass you couldn't save me unhallowed path and the title track the chosen i guess maybe like uh where my gripes if you want to call them that lie would be in how like there are just like some minor if anything elements that are able to kind of just like pull me away from the tracks momentarily. I, I'm back into them by the conclusion, but maybe just like, um, so like with, um, so like, uh, okay, Overpass and then this How Track, they're longer songs, and some of that length is attributed to these early builds that kind of infiltrate the rest of the song. And it's not that I don't like, uh, you know, how slow and different those portions are, but I just think maybe they kind of, uh, Aside from, uh, like, instead of, like, pulling me into the song and making me excited, it kind of makes me question what's happening, and it's like, okay, where is this going? And then, ultimately, it ends up in a spot that is not so different from what else is happening on The Chosen. And, to me, that parallels the closing song, Atlas, which is, like, about two and a half minutes around that point, I think. Um, and it's an instrumental song, yet it's just, like, this acoustic guitar with, like, this really... Uh, emotional backing uh, to it and it kind of just feels like uh, like the best way to close the record and, and I say that in like kind of this oxymoronic way because it, it's not heavy it's not a deathcore song yet it's closing a deathcore record and it still somehow feels like the exclamation point to everything that's happening here um, so that's a really really dope element that I, I love so much about uh, The Chosen and like I said earlier I would have been missing out if I didn't hear this record. 
Is it my favorite release from last week? Do I think it's going to be a record that I really think about in, you know, a couple days or a couple weeks? No, probably not. Yet, um, the time that I got to spend with the Chosen, I, I, I liked it. I wasn't bored. I didn't question why I was hearing it. I was just thinking like, man, this is a really, really cool and promising piece of work that I think anybody who's like really, really into Enterprise Earth, like, you know, you should be proud of. And, you know, by this point, this band like has like, you know, kind of a deep discography. I, I think their first record would have been like 2015, 2016. So, you know, if you've been rocking with Enterprise Earth this whole time, I, I think you were rewarded. And I think if you're just getting into them, you know, for the first time right now, like I am, you were also rewarded. And, you know, everybody wins and everybody eats and that's great. Okay, pull up another uh, randomized bullshit. Uh, okay, so this is going to be the one EP from last week, that being Underground Summer Sound by Happy Days. So this is one of those kinds of releases where I did at least briefly mention this artist before, uh, that having been, actually, no, I didn't even get to because, uh, the only single that I had saved from this EP was With You, which is the opening song. And that was like the week of December 3rd, which was also the cutoff date for the year-end awards. And I didn't record an episode for all the releases that week. So I actually haven't even been able to mention Happy Days on this show before. But I did listen to With You back when that dropped, and my immediate reaction was like that of kind of, uh, you know, involving me geeking out over this sound, because this is like pop punk personified. This is like that kind of a, uh, like neck deep-esque sound that I really, really gravitate towards, and I think a band like Happy Days is doing it incredibly well with you it's just like so catchy and like just so easy to to get lost in and nod your head to and i was really hoping like that would kind of be the trajectory for the entire ep and thankfully that is the case the second song heat wave has more of like this um i don't want to say like lazy or dull but just like a kind of like a worn down effect to the vocal delivery and i think that really really uh, parlays perfectly into what Heatwave is saying, like, uh, lyrically, I mean. So, the chorus right here goes, She says I'm never perfect and that nothing's really worth it. She told me everything on the drive home and then switches off without turning the light on. Because she's past the point of learning, had to fix and stop the hurting. Yeah, she told me everything on the drive home. She's got better things to do than fix this side of me. So, like, just really, really emo and, like, sad boy-esque. But, again, this is the exact kind of pop punk that I just, like... I, I latch onto, you know, I easily fall in love with this shit, and uh, it was no different for Happy Days. Um, I think there were a lot of really cool moments on uh, Underground Summer Sound where the band kind of like maybe takes some chances and experiments a little bit, but it's never like encompassing the entire song. It, it never feels like it's compromising the identity of Happy Days on this EP. So for instance, the closing track, Heartbeats, the majority of that song, I would say, is kind of rooted in like this, uh, like more like poppy electronic style. I say poppy, I mean like pop sound, not the artist poppy. Um, and then by the end of the song, it breaks back into that pop punk sound that is just like so characteristic of everything that I think Happy Days, you know, really, really should be moving forward. 
um, missing out and feel it. They just like have like that same kind of a uh, that exuberance and that energy. And you know, not to like uh, make a pun off of the name of the EP, but Underground Summer Sound. Like this kind of is like a summer record. It really has that uh, that nature to it, that tone. And this is gonna be something that I, you know, five songs. It's so short, so easy to get through. I don't see why I wouldn't revisit this EP very often and regularly and like into the summer. I really think this is going to be a big deal for me. I see myself listening to this record a lot over the next couple months, maybe the next year and beyond that. Um, it was really, really, really fucking good. Um, I don't believe I gave it a perfect score. And the reason I did it was because for me, like hearing this EP, it more so is emblematic of where happy days can go rather than where they're at right now. So like, you know, the future of this project looks incredibly bright if they're going to remain on this path and all their future songs kind of like have uh, some semblance of what was happening with Underground Summer Sound because this is incredible in my opinion. I love this EP. I really don't want to even shut the fuck up about it, but I have to to move on. But yeah, this was outstanding. Um, okay, I said I was going to do the randomizer thing and I had been up to this point, but I, I see the four records left and I kind of know already the order I want to go in. So... Uh, right now, I'm gonna get into Euphoria by Enox. Not Euphoria is in that show that nobody on the TL will stop talking about, and I probably really, really should make an effort to get into it soon. Um, I'm talking about the Enox record that has really, really been a long time coming because I look back on this band's discography on Spotify and, like, you know, these singles go back to 2020. Like, this feels like a record that had been delayed maybe, like, you know, well, not maybe, but for sure, like, two years. And so, uh, it's incredible that they finally managed to get it out. You know, b big ups, props to this band for not letting go of their vision, uh, staying true to what they wanted to do with Euphoria. Uh, and for that, I give them all the credit in the world because like, this is a really, really difficult time period for bands to kind of like stick to a path and stick to what they want to do. But that's exactly what Enox did. And I think it did pay off. Um, so kind of having said that, I will try to, uh, kind of, uh, start off with maybe the bad per se. Um, if you even want to call it bad, because I ultimately did like this record quite a bit. Um, I think there are some instances where this record kind of blends in with each other. And some of these songs, you know, with one listen and then maybe even two, for me at least, it became kind of difficult to differentiate it and think in my head like, okay, which song was Fade? Which song was Nikita? Which was uh, Stacker? Um by, by the time I was able to, like, finish gathering all my thoughts on this record, I was able to kind of, like, make more of a distinction, but at least initially, it did take some work on my end, like, time and effort to actually be able to uh, point out which song was which. Um, I also think that with uh, the opening song, Radiance, which features Ricky Armelino from Ice Nine Kills and Hawk, that one kind of, like, steals the show, I would say. Like, that song, I don't want to say it overshadows everything else on Euphoria, but to me, at least, there's like a clear, uh, you know, difference between how I perceived that song and then how I perceived the rest of the record. I heard Radiance and I was like, this is absolutely phenomenal. Like, this is an incredible song. Uh, and the rest of the record, you know, it ranged from like, you know, 
good to borderline great, whereas I thought Radiance was perfect. Um, to me, it's pretty clear that this band is made up with, like, students of the game, and by that I mean, uh, at least, like, from what I could hear, like, it was so easy to pick up the influence of bands like The Ward Alive and Motionless and White when listening to these songs. Um, I would say even Hawk, like, not just the Ricky Armelino song, but, like, the rest of the record, too. It has, like, that kind of energy to it. Um, maybe sometimes a little bit too much, but for the most part, I think it's balanced really well. Um, I will say, Enox can write some fucking choruses, dude. Like, on Tragedy and Inertia, like, I just kept going back to the choruses over and over again because they have, like, that kind of explosive energy that I ask for every, like, alternative rock or alternative metal, whatever you want to call that genre. Like, that is the exact kind of catchiness and just, like, a well-executed melody that I really, really enjoy. Um, and then even Defiance, with regards to what I said about courses, granted Defiance isn't exactly, like, catchy in the same way that Tragedy is, Defiance has, like, this, um, almost like a dark energy to the chorus, and how it's, like, kind of, like, you know, it goes up, and then it goes down, and then it goes back up, and it's just, like, this really weird, you know, progression, but I think that is one of the areas where I really got to see, like, how strong the members of Enox are in their abilities when, like, they really, really set their minds to it. Um, the record closes in, like, a really, really chaotic manner with the song Convulsions. Like, the outro, it just feels like, uh, you know, all the elements that make up Euphoria kind of just, like, being put on, uh, like a, uh, what's the thing I'm trying to think of? Like, uh, um, this isn't what I was going for, but let's say it's, like, on a conveyor belt going into the depths of hell. And that kind of just destruction and anarchy, I think, really, really left, uh, Euphoria the opening to end on, like, such a high note, and that's exactly what happened. Um, so, you know, I was saying earlier, like, there are moments, sure, where I think some of this material blends together. I do think that's an area where I would like to see Enox kind of improve in the future, you know, like, have certain characteristics to each song that makes them more recognizable, um, but, like, for myself, putting in the effort to, like, really, really, you know, go through all the songs and, like, uh, craft these moments in my head of what each of them sound like, uh, it was rewarding in the end. Um, you know, Defiance, I mentioned, uh, Radiance, like, those are songs that, um, I'm, I'm gonna keep going back to. Uh, like, Radiance, I've already listened to a ton of. Right before I did this review, I listened to Defiance, like, two or three times, and the chorus again for that one, I was kind of just like, man, this is, like, stellar. Like, not even just good, but, like, this is exceptional. Um, Euphoria is a really, really good record. I do suggest it, um, you know, if you're into what I was mentioning with, like, The Ward Alive, Motionless and White, like, this is right up there for you. Um, it's a good record. Uh, I would like to see, you know, those areas be improved by Enox from here on out, but as Euphoria stands, really, really solid work. <sighs> Bros, I'm, I'm fucking tired, like, I'm spent, my voice is starting to feel it now. Nine records is a challenge, honestly. It really, really is. I'm almost done, though. I can, like, see where the finish is. So let's just keep going. Uh, next record, Oh, What the Future Holds by Fit for an Autopsy. It probably is fair to call Fit for an Autopsy 
a legacy act by this point. They've been around for like well over a decade. Their first record was back in 2011, that being the process of human extermination. And uh, admittedly, I haven't been like so attentive to everything from Fit for an Autopsy. I haven't like been there at the forefront listening to all their material as it's released. I did so for the uh, the Sea of Tragic Beasts back in 2019, and I was kind of blown away by it. I thought that was an incredible record. I, I really, really loved like all of the, uh, you know, the deathcore tone. Deathcore? Did I say deathcore is in like death tones? You know what? I was trying to say deathcore tones and I said deathcore. Fuck, man. Okay. Uh, the deathcore tones of the Sea of Tragic Beasts. And I, I, I loved it. Um, but I also acknowledge that maybe if, uh, Oh, what the future holds was just like a replica of that. I don't know if my attachment to this record would have been so strong. Um, ultimately what happened was, Oh, what the future holds. It still has like that deathcore nature that I think Fiffer and Autopsy has refined by this point, but it also has like so many influences of just like straight up metal laced throughout it. Uh, to me, it's kind of a uh, reminiscent of what Whitechapel had been doing on, uh, both, uh, the Valley as well as Kin. You know, I can hear like those kind of, uh, more just like somber, laid back, melodic moments, like on the Far From Heaven, which was like the, was it the lead single for this record? I honestly don't remember. Uh, but it was a single and it was a single that I was really, really high on. And like when that song starts, the, uh, the guitar riff that goes into the like building and also brooding instrumentation, I thought that was like really, really well done. I loved that bit of Far From Heaven. I thought it was a really, really good, way for Fiffer and Autopsy to introduce what was going to be happening on Oh What the Future Holds. Um, the single that followed that was Pandora, which I think also does what I said about Far From Heaven and how you're able to sense like this uh, kind of branched outside of Fiffer and Autopsy. Um, there's this moment later on in the song where it's just instrumental and it's like kind of quiet, yet it feels like so chilling and haunting in a lot of ways. And I love how even when they're not at their heaviest per se, Fit for an autopsy, still know how to craft like that sense of uncomfortability that I think really, really works in the deathcore genre. Um, in Shadows has like some really, really cool melodic moments. Uh, a portion, maybe like around, uh, like two and a half minutes into the song or so, where it kind of feels like clean singing, but it's not really clean singing. It's just like this, uh, like a, like a choir, I guess. Um, but it feels like so, um, for lack of a better way of explaining this, demonic in a way. And I really enjoy that sound. And I think like, you know, that being what, uh, all what the future holds was kind of built on that, uh, haunting nature. Like it made for this really, really enjoyable and incredible listening experience that, uh, you know, I knew fit for an autopsy could deliver, but hearing it for myself, I was like still taken aback by everything happening on all what the future holds. Um, and, and I've gone this long without even bringing up the opening song, which is the title track, and how that spends, like, the first half of its runtime just, like, being, like, really kind of quiet while building itself up. And you can, you know what's coming. You know the song's gonna break out into a deathcore track later on, but that in initial buildup is still so, like, just, um, euphoric in a lot of ways. And I just, like, I was listening to it for the first time, and I was kind of just like, okay, like, this sounds, like, so, um like epic i guess like it sounds like a you know something for a movie like it has like that real uh like glamour to it while also still being not glamorous but just like uh um 
hellish in, in some ways, I guess. I don't mean to like constantly say hell and demonic when referring to deathcore, but like that's genuinely like what like jumps to mind when hearing these kinds of songs and just like how well crafted they are in the malevolence of you know this subsection of the scene. And even if some of these songs take experimental chances, there's never a moment where it feels like Fit for an Autopsy lose sight of who they are. So like you go into a song like a, a higher level of hate and that brutal nature of it, like it still speaks so uh, like f uh, finely to who Fit for an Autopsy have been this whole time and what they can do. And, you know, I would say there's no reason for anybody who's coming into this band already an experienced fan of theirs would feel turned away by anything that's happening here because it's still heavy. It's still just like so, um, uh, like at the pinnacle and the forefront of what is happening in Deathcore. I don't believe Fit for an Autopsy is the best Deathcore band, but I think they at least deserve to be thrown into that discussion. They at least deserve to have their name be mentioned, and they deserve to have their name be mentioned with some fucking respect, because Fit for an Autopsy, like at least coming off of Oh With The Future Holds, really, really sound like that fucking band. Um, a song like Savages, I think kind of like, uh, I don't want to say it's like more accessible than what's happening with the rest of the record, but there is like at least some form of accessibility with how it's heavy, but not like fast paced or anything like that. It's just like chugging riffs and it sounds like just so in alignment with something that is more, uh, you know, akin to what a metal fan would be into rather than a deathcore fan. And then the closing song, The Man That I Was Not, that one took me aback, dude. Like that was genuinely... A real fucking experience uh, on my end. Um, I mentioned the uh, the um, the likening that I had for this record to the most two recent Whitechapel records, uh, the Valley and Kin. This is the song where like that really really jumped out at me um, because I listened to uh, the man that I was not, and I'm just like I I don't want to say surprised that the band could do this because I feel like it had kind of been teased all throughout the runtime for. Uh, oh, what the future holds, but just hearing it be executed in this manner and having uh, Nate Johnson's cleans just like really, really shine through. Um, if it's not Nate Johnson on cleans, I apologize, but um, that element of clean vocals just like it, it's so, um, it, it feels rewarding. It's like you heard all these songs beforehand and then you get to the man that I was not and you can hear like what is really, you know, potentially in store for the future fit for an autopsy. Like this is an absolutely fucking immaculate closer. Maybe my favorite closer of the year right now. One of my favorite closers just in general from recent memory. Uh, the man that I was not is everything that I could have asked for it to be. And I think it warrants that 655 runtime. I've said before that with long songs, I'm sometimes like, you know, uh, steer it away from them. Not the man that I was not. This song fucking goes, dude. And that's kind of the story with all of Oh What the Future Holds. And, um, I didn't give it a perfect score. And my reasoning for that was just because, um, there are two records to be discussed right now. Uh, well, not two, but, uh, there was a uh, Pride Lands earlier and then, uh, a record coming out later on where those were tens. And I could hear them and, you know, fully convince myself that they're perfect records. Oh What the Future Holds, I, couldn't really put on that level it felt like just like a, a minor 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 notch below and that is where i was comfortable setting this record at but i love oh, what the future holds i think it is a outstanding work of art out of fit for an autopsy and i just really really cannot emphasize how uh much of like a required listening experience from last week i believe this is for anybody in the scene um, I had said earlier that I wanted to go like five minutes tops for all these records. I don't know if I've been at five minutes or below or over. I've just, 
I, I've been talking a long time. That's all I know. Uh, my voice is feeling it. Um, but two records left. Let's keep it going. Uh, the next record is going to come from a band that I don't even know if you would classify as scene, but uh, we're going to review it anyways. Are We Gonna Be Alright by Fickle Friends. So here is my story of Fickle Friends and how I even came across this record or even this band for that matter. Um, so something that I've been doing recently is uh, going and sitting at Starbucks to work on this stuff. So, you know, I finish the recording and then I'll go there to edit and like implement all the sound clips from the songs and whatever. Um, there was a time back in November, near the end of the month, I believe, and I was just sitting in Starbucks, you know, editing an episode, uploading it, and a song came on over Starbucks. And I was listening to it and I was just like, what the fuck is this? Because like, this is really, really, really good. Um, and so I was kind of like trying to listen to it for lyrics I could put into Google. Um, but the audio wasn't really like that clear. So while the song is playing, I literally downloaded Shazam on my phone and then opened it to get this song. And I was just like hoping that the song wouldn't finish before I could do that. Uh, so I was able to get Shazam, um, uh, you know, did what I needed to do, and it told me that the song was IRL by Fickle Friends. So, I went and found it on Spotify, listened to it, I saw that it dropped in January of 2021. And I was listening to it, and I was like, this might be my favorite pop song of the year. Like, this song is fucking incredible, I love it so much, I love everything about it, it's so addictive and catchy. Um, I couldn't put it down. I didn't want to put it down. It was amazing. Um, and I, I even gave consideration to having IRL make it into the top 100 songs of the year list. But I just thought, like, there's no way I can give a song that I didn't review and didn't know about for almost an entire year a spot there. So that's why it wasn't there. But had I heard IRL back when it dropped, yes, easily a top 100 song, maybe top 50, maybe top 20. That song is that fucking good. I love it that much. And so by that one song, I was able to, uh, you know, be sold on the idea of Fickle Friends. And so I knew that they had a record coming out in January. I was ready to save it to my Spotify and review it on here, uh, hoping that every single song on here was up to the caliber of IRL. And that is my way of also saying that I really only went into this record having heard just one song. I didn't listen to any of the other singles. I didn't even really know how to decipher, like, what was new, what wasn't. Because, like, some of these songs, you know, they were put out as singles and some were part of EPs. But then, like, not everything on those EPs made it onto Are We Gonna Be Alright? So, it was, like, kind of a confusing rollout. Uh, but I still went into it optimistic because of, like, just how much I love IRL. Uh, so, like, you know, pressing play on the opening song, Love You to Death. That one, it doesn't feel, like, as um energetic or, like, upbeat and bouncy as I was, like, expecting from Fickle Friends. But it takes those elements and kind of replaces them with, like, this um almost like a, a muted kind of pop rock. And I think it works really, really well. I love the implementation of guitar into the song. Um, It feels, like, so complete and, like, almost like a like, dark and mysterious in some ways, but, like, it does feel like it, uh, fits right into what we're used to hearing in the scene. The song following that, Not Okay, 
that one sounds more like something that I would expect from a modern day pop band. Like that one has that kind of radio, like a uh, almost like an EDM festival energy to it. Like I can just easily imagine like a crowd, you know, jumping up and down outdoors to the song playing. Um, and it's a really, really cool energy. I like that. It's fun. It's vibrant. Um, it speaks to what I think Fickle Friends are able to craft and put together so, you know, uh, thoroughly and, and well for that matter. Um, there are some tracks that have like, uh, almost like 90s alternative rock inspired styles going for it. Write me a song and yeah, yeah, yeah. They just have that kind of, uh, those tones going for it and, that's an area where I think it shows off the versatility and the range of Fickle Friends and how they're able to kind of, you know, venture out and try out all these different sounds. And to their credit, I think all of them, uh, you know, they pay off really, really well to making Are We Gonna Be Alright this standout piece. Um, the song Listen has, uh, like, lights energy, as in, like, the artist's lights. Um, and I really, really admire that kind of, like, pop nature to Fickle Friends, uh, and like I said already, with, like, uh, combining that with Yeah, 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 and Write Me a Song, and, uh, uh, Love You to Death, IRL, like, this is a band that, you know, they kind of know no boundaries, they're able to kind of do whatever it is that they want to, and they've proved why they're able to do that, I think, on Are We Gonna Be Alright? Every song has an identity, every song feels different from one, one another, uh, I didn't have the issue that I did with this record that I mentioned with uh, Enox earlier and how, like, you know, on that record, some of the songs, I couldn't really initially differentiate which was which with uh, Are We Gonna Be Alright? Like, I know what all these songs are. I know what the titles belong to. I know each sound that encompasses all these songs. It's so just, like, you know, satisfying and rewarding to get a record like this where each song has a character. And I guess to speak further to what I've been saying about, you know, each song's character, the closing track, which is the title track for that matter... Um, you know, really soft, really somber, really slow, and it's a great way to cap off this record that, you know, up until that point was just, like, really energetic all the way through. Um, it's a really cool juxtaposition that I admire so much, um, and yeah, I came out of this record, you know, uh, pretty happy with it, really, really happy for that matter. Um, I didn't believe that it was perfect, I feel like IRL maybe set my expectations almost unrealistically high because that song you know feels generational to me and then the rest of the record is just like either good or perfect but in that instance you know there is a little bit of a of a detachment from reality and expectation but it's just a small detachment nothing major uh are we gonna be all right is such a good record i i love everything about it i've listened to it a ton over the last week i'm gonna keep going back to it over and over and over again not just for irl but for so many of these other tracks that really really did their jobs in sticking with me and so now we get to the final fucking record the end of this chapter uh i i have a lot of things to say about this good things not a single bad thing uh voyeurist by under oath So let's just set the stage right now. Under Oath is one of the most legendary bands in the history of scene music. They have been a pillar for me ever since I was like 10 years old. I, like, I identify with Under Oath so much. You know, you ask me to name you like my 10 favorite bands ever. Uh, Under Oath is going to be one of those ones that just kind of like comes off the top of my head. You know, there's Bring Me, there's Paramore, there's Linkin Park, there's uh, maybe Bless the Fall, I See Stars. Under Oath is up there. 
like they have been that band for me this whole time uh you know their initial separation back in like 2012 or 13 like that hurt that stung and then the comeback in 2018 like i remember being in uh the dorm room job that i was having at the time and i heard on my teeth the morning that it dropped and i was just like sitting there kind of like staring at my hands and thinking like they like they're back it's fucking under oath dude like this is really really happening um and then erase me dropped that record of 2000 from 2018 of theirs and i don't really know like how many people actually like feel um i guess satisfied with that record how many people look back on it fondly because i do think it's kind of a divisive album for myself personally i've never had an issue with erase me i still go back to a lot of songs on there pretty regularly not just on my teeth but then also rapture i hate it uh wake me uh loneliness which is like a, a bonus track that got released about a year later um i i really genuinely enjoy that record I acknowledge that it's not my favorite Underworld album, but like, look at what it's competing against. Like, that's a really, really difficult task to measure up to. Um, or at least I thought so. And then I heard Voyeurist and I genuinely was just like so dumbfounded by how this band manages to be this fucking amazing, this deep into their tenure. Um, so the record opens with the first two singles, Damn Excuses and Hallelujah. Damn Excuses, I remember listening to it and thinking like, you know, this feels different from what was happening on Erase Me, but it's like a welcome, uh, like culture shock, I guess. Because I thought like, you know, this kind of chaotic energy from Under Oath, like it wasn't going to exist anymore. It wasn't going to be there. But Damn Excuses really, really made it clear like, no, Voyeurs is going to go into this like heavy direction that really, really speaks to like the kind of, not really the kind of Under Oath that I grew up with, but the kind of Under Oath that I deserve to have at this point in, you know, being, uh, having matured from a, a 10 year old kid listening to their only chasing safety to now a 26 year old listening to Voyeurists. Um, and then you go into the second song, Hallelujah, uh, that made the top 100 songs for 2021. Hallelujah, like, I still hear it, and I just think, like, like, the simplification of that hook, cut the lights, face yourself, we're not dreaming, this is hell, it's just, like, so well-crafted, and it's, like, easily lodged into my brain, and I love everything that Hallelujah speaks to me about, I love the layout of it, I just, it's a perfect, perfect song, and that makes way for a perfect record. Um, I do remember talking about Cycle and Pneumonia on this show before. Cycle features Ghostmane, and I admire that uh, embracing of like the new age scene music with Underoath here. Uh, and I think Ghostmane fits into the, what Cycle is doing really, really perfectly. Uh, pneumonia, there's a... I'm actually going to say Pneumonia for the end, because Pneumonia is a little bit uh, heartfelt for me right now. Uh Numb, I believe, was a single that I didn't get to talk about because it came out later into 2021, but Numb, like, it has, like, such frantic and chaotic energy that is able to be concise the entire time. Like, I never feel lost hearing Numb. I listen to it, and I'm like, I, I understand everything that's happening here. It's still, like, so catchy and melodic while being really, really just all over the place, and I really, really admire that about Numb. Um, the song, I'm pretty sure I'm out of luck and have no friends. Amazing title, by the way. And uh, like, it's a cool callback to, you know, the age of sea music that Under Oath came from where bands would give their songs just like these ridiculously long titles for no reason. Um, but I'm pretty sure I'm out of luck. It has this like really, really, uh, like deranged buildup throughout maybe like the first 70 to 75% of the track. And then it just goes into this explosive, 
you know, almost like a metalcore style song that I think really, really speaks to where Under Oath is at this stage of their careers. Like, this is the exact kind of heaviness that I expect from them and I come to them for. Um, No Oasis is like kind of meant to be an interlude, but also not really. It's almost three minutes long. It stands out as its own track. It's similar to what Bring Me the Horizon achieved on Amo with songs like Ouch and Fresh Bruises, where you can't really call them interludes. They feel just like so full of their own life. And No Oasis, it acts like it's kind of like the midpoint of Voyeurist, and it's really, really chilling. It's like really haunting, uh, and that sound that's like almost like horror-based, I, I, I think again, like it really, really sets the stage and perfectly matches the energy and the tone of what Voyeurist is going for. Uh, Thorn, Take a Breath, and We're All Gonna Die. I think those three songs really showcase like uh, a good melodic sensibility on the part of Under Oath, and they're just able to craft these, uh, you know, these cool choruses, these cool moments that manage to stick with me. Take a Breath was my favorite song, uh, at least like the new songs from Under Oath last week. And I just keep going back to it over and over again. Do not get sick of it whatsoever. I love Take a Breath so much. Um, it just feels like so, uh, like emphatic and like a real, like not an exclamation point because it's not the ending, but it just feels like it has that kind of, uh, that, uh, that big giant, uh, nature to its core. Um, and the same thing with We're All Gonna Die. I just love that fucking chorus, dude. And just the way, uh, Aaron Gillespie just like says it over and over again, you know, we're all gonna die. It, it just, God, it, it, it makes me take a moment to be like, this was a Christian band. Like, this was a band before that had like, you know, like kind of preachy type lyrics. And then now they're just like, you know, this is a band that has been through some shit, dog. Like, they've really, really been through it and they're channeling that into their music now. And I don't want to say they sound better than ever because, you know, there's a part of me, maybe it's nostalgia, that still would say Define the Great Line is their best record. But Voyeurist has every right to be in that conversation. Um, so the song Pneumonia, the closer, uh, I talked about it before, uh, in the reviews from 2021, but when I was hearing it again, as part of Voyeurist last week, there were, there was a part of it that just like hit me. Um, and it was this really, really, um, sad, I guess, but also maybe necessary, um, personal involvement and attachment that I had to this record um so uh pneumonia at, at its core was written about the passing of uh the guitarist tim mctague's father and uh, i was listening to the song listening to the lyrics it's a really really heart-wrenching song by the way um i feel like i'm drowning like i'll never get out alive i feel you're a mountain i'll kill myself to climb it could tear me apart i've got to see what's on the other side i know it breaks your heart the devil's calling and i must go uh, and then later on, there's like this like really, really almost like a, a, a soft spoken, uh, like spoken word type of uh, section. I'm a fucking nightmare. I keep myself awake. No one can even help me. Every prayer is fake. And you can sense that like despair in the song, not just like from the vocals, but also the instrumentation. There's everything about pneumonia is just so uh, like I, I, I was going to say damaging, but not really damaging, but just like a. Uh, it, it, it's it tears at you man like it really really does something to you and so i was hearing pneumonia i was listening to these lyrics listening to just a really somber instrumental backing and i started thinking about uh my cat mikasa i do apologize for bringing her up again i know i've done this to fucking death by now but uh just hear me out for a second um so the thing with mikasa was um when she became ill last year suddenly um, 
I didn't take her to a vet, which maybe it wouldn't have done anything. Maybe it would have, but it's something that, you know, I have to live with. Um, but I didn't take her. And so for that reason, I will never actually know what she had. I will never, ever know what happened to her. Um, but I'm listening to pneumonia and while the song is playing, I just decided to Google cat pneumonia just out of curiosity and everything I saw for symptoms matched what she had in her final 36 hours. So, you know, that song kind of like, I don't want to say like that made me believe like she had pneumonia, but it opened that possibility and listening to this song, it it carried away with it now, like something that wasn't there before when I was hearing it. And it just made the personal attachment to not only pneumonia, but all of voyeurists that much more powerful. And I cannot thank Under Oath enough for having delivered this record the way that they did at the time that they did. This is outstanding. This is excellent. This is perfect. This is a band, you know, 20 years or almost 20 years after their initial rise to prominence and they are still putting out some of the fucking best music I've ever listened to in my life. Like, Under Oath is genuinely one of the greatest bands of all time, and I feel so satisfied and rewarded to be able to sit here and say that they are one of my favorite bands ever, and they forever will be for the rest of my life. And that's it. That was every song, record, EP, album, whatever from last week that I had to review. I'm really, really fucking tired. My voice is gone by this point. I'm spent. And now I got to go edit this episode, put in the clips and upload it, and then start up the cycle again Friday. Uh, so yeah, that's it for now. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, for better or worse, let's make a scene.